According to the 2016 census, nearly one in every six people in Australia were aged 65 and over. And estimates show that by the end of the next decade, one in three Australians will be aged over 55. If people are living longer, they're going to be working for longer too. So what does this ageing population mean for employers? I'm Hamish Coots. You're listening to Talent Talks, brought to you by SEEK. Welcome back to Talent Talks here at RE2018. It is my great privilege to welcome Professor Linda Grattan uh, into the podcast studio. Welcome to you, Linda. Thank you, Hamish. Thank you for inviting me. And welcome back to Ari. I'm a judge on the CEO panel, so yes. I get to get... I'm very close to what Ari are doing, and it's, it's absolutely wonderful. So I, I come to Australia at least once a year. Fantastic. Uh, we have a whole set of companies who are members of our Future of Work consortium, so it's yes. just such a pleasure. And uh, we are broadcasting from the Exhibitor Hall at the moment, so we're surrounded by technology and vendors of all sorts. It's massively growing, isn't it? I think if it's just Brisbane, um, there are more solutions in the market. Yes. It, it's, it's, do you get a ch- much of a chance to walk around? And yes, sort of see, I did. Yeah. I, and actually, I always do, because I think the exhibitors are always completely fascinating. Yes. And it's an area, isn't it? Human resources is an area where yeah. many people are now building capabilities. Yes. Or, or, I teach uh, MBA students at London Business School, and at least... 20 of them have got fantastic ideas about how to build an HR online service. Yes. So, yeah, it's a great industry to be in. And so many more of them actually getting the opportunity to do that now, yeah, too, which, absolutely. Which, is, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you kicked off the entire RE this morning with your presentation, um, which was all around rewiring organisations for the future. So, Linda, what did you speak about this morning? Well, you know, what I talked about this morning was... How important it is, first of all, just to understand what's happening in our world. And I talked about the three big areas that I look at. One is the impact of technology. Mm. The second is the whole question of demography, particularly what happens when lots of people live to 100. And then the third is what's happening to social fabric, what's happening to families, what's happening to communities. And really what I said is what that's showing us is for most individuals, they see their lives transforming. And and the traditions that might have made it easier for them to to know what to do next are sort of disappearing. Mm. So they've got to uh, make a lot more decisions themselves. And what I then talked about is what were some of the things that an HR function could do. And I, I talked about... Uh, two areas. First is look beyond money as the, as the source of the deal. Right. Um, that really what employees really want now more than money, not to say that one shouldn't pay, pay people fairly but they really need to keep healthy and vital and they need to engage in lifelong learning. Yeah. So that was my first point. And then the second point I made is HR can play a very important role in building those narratives right now that help employees realize that they have to take some responsibility for their own learning, but also that the organization can play a role. And I gave some examples, including a couple of Australian companies, yeah. of companies I think are making a great, a great play in this area. Why is it important for organisations in HR now to be looking to the future? How, how would you answer that best? Well, I've been running the, fu- the Future of Work Consortium for 10 years now. Yeah. I, I think we, in a way we were sort of a little bit before our time. But right now, uh, well, you know, as you can see in the banking sector, um, jobs are changing all the time, people mm. are changing. So right now we have, to, we have to really put this as a priority. And as we were saying in the last session, in a way, to call it the future makes it sound as if, well, we don't really have to do anything now. It's the future of work. Well, actually, it's the here and it's now the here of and now. work. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. 
what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, that are shaping the future world of work? What have, what, have, what have you, yeah, the 10 years that you've been running the foundation, what are you seeing? Well, we started actually by looking at 32 trends. Right. So we really yeah. understood the whole landscape, and I continue to look at, at, at all of those trends. But the three that really strike me at the moment are the impact particularly of artificial intelligence on the way that people work. And, okay. and you see that so much in Australia in your banking sector, yes. where ca the job of the cashier is one of those jobs that's really changing mm. because of technology. You know, much of the work of the cashier can now be done by a machine. Yes. So, so, in fact, what's happened in the US is that the number of cashiers hasn't gone down, but their job has transformed. So I think... Uh, I think Machines, artificial intelligence are playing a real role. The second is demography, and there's two aspects there that I think are fascinating. The first is that we're living longer, yes. and if we live, as I said at the last RE meeting, if you live to 100, and I said in my, my book, if you live to 100, you work until you're 80. Mm. And, and co corporations are still incredibly ageist and stereotypes about what it is to age. But the second thing is that if you're a country as you are in Australia, or we are in the UK, where people are living longer and having fewer children, then the result is the society ages. And in, the, the, in, in Japan, for example, right now, the average age is 45, and that's going to go up. And then the third thing I really talked about with, in terms of the trends is changes in family structures. You know, the idea that each family was made up of a working man with a mum staying at home and two children, this is a minority family. <laughs> you know, yeah. the families are much more complex like than that. And because women are working now, families need to be, what I would say, much more degendered. Yes. So that means both uh, women uh, looking after kids, but also men getting me more involved. And so one of the sort of indicators I'm looking at at the moment is paternity leave. And I know that Australia is yeah. strong on paternity leave. I think it's a very good indicator of how a society values yes. its next generation. Yes. Do they, do they encourage men to take time off to look after kids? Globally, obviously, you, you, you operate in a knowledgeable range of markets. Um, where does Australia stack up? Um, are you seeing progress in terms of male Yes, paternity? actually, I'm, I'm writing something at the moment where mm. I'm putting Australia as one of the best practice countries. Okay. Yeah, because um, you've got lots of uh, dads who are trying to, you know, even the Sydney Opera House this week, there's an exhibition of fathers as carers. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. just a, phot a photographic exhibition. Yeah. Um, you've got senior men who are who are showing that they're taking time off to look after their children. So, yeah, I think you. this is something you can be really proud of in terms of your family, family uh, you know, the way that you're supporting families and supporting the next generation. Mm, great. It, it's interesting you touched on artificial intelligence there. And look, my own personal viewpoint is there's still quite a bit of fear-mongering um, and it's very, very easy to print a headline um, around job losses and you use that example of the banks. And no, no, I agree with you and I, I don't like scaremongering at all yeah. because anxiety, you know, when, when people are anxious, they don't change. Mm. So you have to feel, if you want to change and relearn and upskill, you have to feel optimistic about the future. So in the books that I write and in the talks that I give, I'm, I'm always optimistic about jobs. And I don't even use the word job destruction. I would use the word job change. You yes. know, that jobs are changing. Mm. Uh, machines can do the boring bits. Isn't that great? Yes. And that leaves you to upskill 
and to do more of the interesting more stuff. More interesting work. Yeah. Um, and perhaps we certainly think around the fine arts, etc. there'll be a, a bit of a need there because obviously the machines probably won't be uh, yeah. doing fine well, arts. Well, yeah. all the creative work. Yeah. And that's one of the areas of growth. You know, in fact, some of the predictions is that those creative industries... Uh, which are certainly the backbone of some of the communities in Australia and certainly one of the backbones yeah. of London, those creative industries are really crucial mm. uh, because human, uh, machines can't do any of that stuff. Yes. Whatever people say, they really can't. Yes. Linda Grattan is a Professor of Management Practice at the London Business School and an expert on the impacts of longevity in the workplace. She joined me at the desk at the 2018 ARI convention. So you touched on, on uh, some of your books, but obviously one I want to touch on was The 100-Year Life. Yeah. Um, and you wrote it with an economist. Yes. Uh, and I'm interested to ask you, Linda, um, what's going to happen or what's happening when people live longer and work longer? What's the impact on yeah. work? Yeah. Well, thank you for mentioning The 100-Year Life, which I have to say I'm really proud of. It's been a book that's been very influential. Yes. Um, you know, as a consequence of that, I was asked by the Japanese Prime Minister to sit on his council, and he built a council specifically about the 100-year lives. So one of the questions that Andrew and Scott and I explored was, well, what does it mean when everyone lives to 100? And, mm. and here are the two big predictions that we've made. The first is, and this is the economics of it, mm. if you live to 100, you're working until you're 70 or 80. So already it means that the current lifestyle we have of full-time education, full-time work, um, full-time retirement just isn't going to work. We need something a lot more flexible, what I would call a multi-stage life. And we also need to allocate some of the time that we put into education at the beginning mm. right through our right life through. Okay. and also some of the leisure time we put in at the end yes. right through our lives. You know, one of the things I said to the delegates today which I think got the biggest cheer was take a gap year. Just allocate some of the time that you have got at the end of your life, allocate it to the middle of your life. Which, which is an unusual thing commonly itself is it because we take a gap year when we I don't know we're finishing uni or before we start but I sit here as a 44 year old um, if I took a gap year now I don't know um, sometimes I think well would that look odd on my resume or no it would look great and that's what you know what's very interesting is that right now each generation has got a different sort of challenge to face um, I think for younger people one of the challenges is learning how to master time learning how to work but also to be, you know, to take time out because if you're working until you're 70 or 80 as they're going to mm. you really need to manage your vitality you need, really need to, to give yourself time to stand back uh, and I think that what we're seeing now are pioneers who are doing that so if, in, any, in any group if I say how many people here have taken a gap year I mean beyond, you know, when they were 20 yeah. people always put their hands up and I say to them, how was the experience? And they all say, it was amazing. And then I said, was it a problem for you when you got back to work? And they all said no. Great. Because actually, you know, of course, if you've laid on a beach for a year, people are going, oh, yeah, sure. But nobody at the age of 40 does that. You know, they, they go to Africa, they do exciting things, they work in communities. And when they come back, people say, wow, that's awesome. Mm. You've really built 
a, a, a new set of skills that could be really helpful. And you touched on, on education as well and, and obviously you, traditionally yes we, we pack our education at the start of our lives and, and then you know, we may or may not continue some study through work but, but if we are working till we're 70 or 80 and which is a fairly sobering thought as we sit here uh, right now, um, what role does continued education yeah. play? How do you see that playing out? Well you know I think if we're going to work for until we're in our 80s which we are then it's absolutely crucial that we learn right the way through our lives and you know if you look for to universities they've been pretty poor at helping people and I would include my own there mm. um, at helping people really become lifelong learners but actually there are lots of other ways of learning yes. particularly online so I'm very excited about what's happening in the online learning space and uh, some of that an individual can do themselves. Some of them a company. You know, if you look at Westpac's social learning platform, it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And they're using virtual reality to help people learn how to deal with difficult customers and help them imagine what it is like to be in a wheelchair themselves. So, so you know, these are there are fantastic opportunities for technology to uh, change the way that we learn. What about the actual work structures, the structure of the workday? I mean, the nine-to-five workday is kind of gone really already. People are much more flexible. But in the future, as I said, if, with an ageing workforce, as you said, how, how do you see that playing out? Well, we, you know, we're predicting the four-day week. Are you? Yeah. Because yeah, there, there was never particularly any reason to have a five-day week. Right. And, and again, it's this idea that if you extend your working life, you've got to build in more opportunities to build your resilience you know what it means is your working life isn't a sprint anymore it's a marathon mm. and you so you just you need to pace yourself and so working flexibly having more autonomy taking time off to look after your kids taking time off to go around the world that's very sensible if yes. you're going to work until you're 80 yeah um, so, yes, it's, it, it makes sense for organisations to be much more thoughtful about why is it we want people to work in the way we have in the past. Indeed. So a lot of people listening here will be from organisations and obviously one of the great things about being able to sit down with you is, is, is that actually get to you know, borrow a bit of your IP, etc. So I pose the question to you, you know, what is your advice for how organisations can prepare for the trends that will shape the future of work? Well, I, yeah, thanks for the question. So this is, would be my advice uh, for corporations right now. First of all, don't think this, is, think this is about the future. It's actually about now. So, so Australia, act now. So how could you act now? Firstly, try and reduce people's anxiety. So to do that, start mapping what your labor markets look like, what the job characteristics are, how they're going to transform. Countries are doing that. France has done that. Denmark's doing that. Singapore's doing that. You know, it's, it's not beyond the wit of man to do that. Secondly, invest in training people right the way through their life and I honestly think the best way of doing that is through multi-stakeholders which would involve governments, corporations uh, and the individuals so that we all work together to support people to make these big transitions and thirdly build a positive narrative about the future Yeah. Uh, and so don't just talk about job loss, talk about job change, talk about how you're going to support people and talk about some of the wonderful things that can happen when people have these extraordinary technologies and have a lifespan that's long enough for them to enjoy them. Enjoy them. 
what should HR practitioners, you know, be thinking about, you know, in the immediate future? And you said, well, the future is here; it's now. Um, you know, versus five years' time, ten years' time, what should they be thinking about right now? Well, I think they need to get right next to their CEO and help their CEO build a story that he or she can communicate to employees, and they need to do that right now. That was Linda Gradden, author and professor of management at the 2018 IRA Convention in Melbourne. To hear more talent talks, head to insightsresources.seek.com.au. I'm Hamish Coots. When you're filling a role, you want to see the best candidates and find the right one fast. With 11 million seek profiles, we make sure only the most relevant see your ad. To fill your role faster, visit seek today.